Well, as I said earlier, I am, uh, my name is Jeff Manis. I'm the lead pastor here at Element, and I do just want to say thanks again for being here today. If you're joining us on video, whether you're out in the lobby or somewhere on the internet around the world, so thankful that you are tuning in as well. And uh, every year for the past, I think it's been five years now, we just kind of add to our preaching calendar uh, that I just get a a break in the month of July, that I don't preach in in July. It's a great time for me to get away with my family, uh, to spend some focused time with them just to rest and get renewed uh, because I want to be the pastor here not just this year but for many years to come. And so it's a great time to get a break and stay healthy uh, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And a part of that is uh, that you get to hear from other people besides me, and that really is a blessing. And this year we've had the great opportunity of allowing you to hear not just from our own staff but from some people who are, are giving you insight into what's happening far beyond Cheyenne, and that's happening again here today. You may not know this. But Element Church is a part of a denomination called the Evangelical Church of North America. And a part of our denomination, we're in a conference, the Western Conference. And uh, our conference is able to help support then other churches that are being started uh, in our region. And today, you have the great privilege of hearing from a friend of mine. His name is Keith Twig. He is planting a church in Boise, Idaho called Passion Church. He's going to tell you more about that here in a moment. Uh, but here's what's really cool. You are a part of Passion Passion Church. Because when you give, when you give, we give a portion of what we receive to our conference, our denomination, and then from that, they are able to then help financially support churches like Passion. They helped support Element when we started uh, almost nine years ago now. And uh, Passion received this year alone $80,000 from our conference uh, to help start uh, their church in Boise, and you're a part of that. And so today, you get to hear about what's happening in Boise, uh, what God has done in Keith's life. He has an amazing testimony morning that he will share with you. And so today, uh, I would love for you uh, to give a great Element Church welcome to Pastor Keith Twig. What's up, Element? I had to take a sip of water. I lost my voice just blowing it out to that last song. Um, it's so fun to be with you guys today. Like Pastor Jeff said, uh, we've been friends, and I, I blessed, I'm blessed to say that we, I've been a friend of Jeff and the team and an admirer of Element for years. Uh, we, we, things are amazing out in Boise, but, and I'll get into this a little bit more later, but before that, we spent four amazing years catty corner to you guys up in Cody, Wyoming, doing great ministry up there. That's where I learned how to elk hunt and fly fish. And I was doing a lot of the latter this last week, camped out on the Wind River. So I'm so excited to be here. Um, Also, you might know Bruce and some of you might know Bruce and Sarah Pagano. Uh, They were longtime Element people. They're now in Boise with us and they're part of our team. Bruce is actually our director of cultivation. His passion and his position at Passion is to help cultivate intentional relationships in the ministry of our church, which is exactly what his heartbeat is. So thank you uh, for all of you who served alongside them, for the love that you poured into them in their season here at Element and Cheyenne, because they brought that forward now with us and Cody. And we wouldn't be where we're at without the Paganos and many other families. They're, they're special people. Today's message is going to be a little bit different. Just going to say that out, out front than I typically would, would preach, because typically we do an introduction and then we dive into a passage of scripture and root around in there and, and see what the Lord has for us. Um, today, if you'll allow me, I'm going to change gears for a little bit. 
The Apostle Paul, who under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit wrote the, a significant percentage of the New Testament, said that uh, when he came to this church called Thessalonica, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, he said that he loved them so much that when he came and spent time with them, he shared not only the gospel, but his own life. And that's the two things I want to share with you today. I want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to share you a little bit about my own life, particularly how those two have intersected and coalesced to bring us where we're at today. Um, I'm going to tell you a story. I'm just going to simply tell you a story, my story, right? The story of a dream, the story of one guy. And the reason I'm going to tell you that story is hopefully that through that process, no matter where you're at in following Christ, that the Lord would break your heart just a little bit more for him, for his kingdom, for this beautiful thing that's called church, and that you would join us in prayer over this amazing new kingdom effort that's happening in Boise, Idaho. So those are my goals today. That's why I'm telling you this story. But before I get to where we're at and tell you where we're headed, I got to take you back to where we came from. Right? You've got to know a little bit about me if you're going to know a little bit about passion. And so first, let me introduce to you the much better parts of my family. So this is my wife, Angela. This is our oldest daughter, Sydney, and our youngest daughter, Harper. Now, Angela is the most amazing woman in the world, evidenced by the fact that she, her love for Christ and her love for me has allowed me to drag her out of her hometown of San Diego and drag her all across the Rocky Mountains for the last seven years doing ministry. So first to Billings, Montana, and then to Cody, Wyoming, and then back to Billings, Montana, and now to Boise. And Sydney, our oldest daughter, is just this amazing young woman, and she, she loves Christ, and she loves us, and she's kind, and she's sweet, and she's humble. And I'm going to be honest with you, she's almost 15 now, and it's just not fun anymore because she used to be super cute. And we totally missed those days when she was like seven, eight, nine years old. And just the little Bob haircut that she had, that was Sydney. And it's just like, it's not fun anymore. I'm like, I don't, like, don't be a teenager anymore. Go back to that. But the good news is we've got, we've got Harper and we're going to get to live the same years out with Harper. Harper's, you know, she's almost three right now. And we're going to get to go the same process with Harper as she grows up. We're going to get to experience those fun years with Harper all over again. So this is the body issue of Harper that you'll see here in a second. Right? We're, we're totally using this at the wedding. Everyone knows this. And here's the deal. They're totally different. Parents know this. Whereas Sydney is the child that gets the, the, uh, the, the awards like Heart and Soul Award or, or the Caring Award at school, like consistently. I don't know what awards they give out for looks like this, but we get this look from Harper on a regular basis. Here's the deal. This is a totally true story. The, the, what generated this look was there in the restaurant, there was another little girl just about Harper's age. She did not look at Harper. She did not speak to Harper. She did not mess with Harper. She was simply present in the same restaurant as Harper and generated this look. And we get this look all the time, every day from this kid. Um, so that's our family. And there's one, if you really want to know about our family, you have to know that we're a pug family, right? And if you're a pug family, you know that pugs don't really consider themselves dogs. They consider themselves extremely codependent human members of the same family. And that, that belief on this dog's part is reinforced by the fact that my wife cooks this dog its own breakfast, right? She cooks it eggs and bacon and, and uh, Mickey Mouse and heart-shaped pancakes. I'm sitting at the kitchen table and I'm eating Cocoa Puffs, the dog's on the floor with bacon and eggs, right? I get, I get eggs sometimes, that's true. Um, so here's the deal. That's our family. It's who we are right? And I can honestly say that I can say this to you standing with integrity, that there is even more love in our family when there's no cameras around 
as there appear to be when the cameras come out. And for me personally, there, there, I have my struggles. I have the things I'm working through with the Lord. But in general, relatively, I'm just kind of a well-adjusted just man, husband, father, follower of Christ. But that wasn't always the case. There was a time in my life, the majority of my life actually, when I was the farthest a heart could be from God. I thought Christianity was a joke. I made fun of people who did and who believed in Christianity. I thought they were, the, I just ridiculed them when I met them. And I was, I was just chasing after the, the, the lusts and the passions of this world. That's who I was. Uh, I was born back east, a little bit about me. I was born in Maryland and grew up in Pennsylvania. My family challenges began early. My dad was an alcoholic woman beater. That's kind of who he was back then. So uh, he would get drunk and he would beat up my mom. And my mom was a good Catholic lady who didn't believe in divorce. And she honestly, she would have stayed with him. But here is the deal. They lived next to my dad's father and mother. And they would spend a lot of time together. And my mom realized through that process that the things that my dad did, he'd learned from his dad. And then she looked down at this little three-year-old boy and she's like, if I stay, he's probably going to learn the same things and grow up to be just like that. And so she left when I was three. And six years later, she remarried another man, a good man, but a man who I was never blessed to have a strong relationship with. And I would see my biological dad once in a while. He'd usually look in the form of, he would pick me up, we would go to some local bar, we would walk in, he would give me a roll of quarters to play pool or arcade games, and then when he'd go, he would go sit at the bar and drink with his buddies. So the good news is, I can, I can shoot a mean game of pool. So, so there, there's, always, there's always a glasses half full to it, right? So like many boys and girls we see across our life these days, I grew up without a strong, loving, guiding father figure in my life. And I got into drugs before I got out of elementary school. I was drinking and smoking when I was in middle school. I was actually sexually active before I was my oldest daughter's age. And those activities combined with a smattering of sports, specific, mostly football, was what just kind of defined me throughout my juvenile years. And I wasn't mad. I wasn't angry. I was always a happy baby. But I was as far from God as a heart could be, just as far as you could possibly be. And I just thought that faith was a joke that weak people used to get through hard times. I joined the Navy a year out of high school, so you can tell I was super happy. When they, we get, where's my, where are my servicemen and women? You guys here? I love you guys. Thanks for serving, right? Navy's the best. Um, my father-in-law was actually stationed here in Cheyenne in the Air Force before my, uh, my wife was born, so you guys are okay. There's a lot of you guys up in, in, in Boise. We like you. Uh, I worked on the flight deck of the aircraft carrier USS Kitty Hawk, right? So that's me back row, second from the left, staring down angrily at someone because this was my team and I was mad at someone for doing something. Uh, we deployed to the Middle East twice. I saw half the world on, on board a ship on the flight deck, did emergency response up there. We worked hard and we were over there and deployed in Persian Gulf and other places, but we always made some time to have some fun, right? So this is a, what's called a steel beach picnic. This is on the flight deck of the carrier. That's me with the, sorry, we called it a wife beater, the sunglasses and this in the kiddie pool, which I don't know where we found a kiddie pool on an aircraft carrier, but someone found one and the logical thing to do was fill it with water and sit up on the flight deck and, and do that. I think that we should have done that while deployed in the battle zones and sent pictures out over the internet because if the enemy would have seen us do stuff like that, they would be like, we're, we're done. These guys, these guys are totally crazy. When I got out of the Navy, I moved back to San Diego. 
uh, and I had very specific life goals. So I wanted to work at a restaurant or a bar. I wanted to have a Jeep and live at the beach and live the beach lifestyle and just chase as many girls as possible for the rest of my life. And one more very specific goal. I wanted frosted hair, right? Every man should have frosted hair. Come on, right? San Diego, that was the joint right there. Girls were loving it back then, especially that girl liked it, obviously. Um, and you know, the story of my relationship with that girl is actually representative of the, the kind of guy that I was back then, because that girl and I dated back in the year 2000 and it was a very worldly, you know, kind of structure. We would, we would just hang out and hook up. And then eventually she got pregnant and I told you my list of life goals, husband and father wasn't on it. And so as soon as she gave me the opportunity, when she was about six months pregnant, sitting on her couch with this baby inside of her, she's like, are you in or are you out? And I'm like, I am, I'm out. And I walked out the door and never talked to her again. And that apostle Paul, that guy that we talked about, wrote the uh, majority of the New Testament under the inspiration of the spirit. He says in one book that he was the worst of all sinners, right? And I truly believe that if Paul and I would have been contemporaries, that scripture would have had to be amended just a bit because Paul would have had to acknowledge that like, Hey, I'm super bad, but that Keith guy just got me beat. Because who can do that, right? Who can walk out on, a, on a, a pretty young woman sitting there carrying a child and just walk on and justify living their life? I could. And I did. And just kept living the life I was living, pursuing the passions that I had, running farther and farther and farther from God. Until 2006, living in the Bahamas. With everything that I wanted, living on this island in the middle of paradise, I had a powerful encounter with the God of the universe. Through the prayers of so many people who loved me, through the witnesses of the people around me, through sometimes it seemed like the voice of God in my head freaking me out, I began to realize that there actually is a God. And then I picked this up and I started reading it. And I realized it's all true. Every single, per, every single page, every single line, every single word, it's all true. And this book says that there's only one way, don't be fooled, there's only one name under on heaven and earth by which a person can be saved, and it's the name and person and work of Jesus Christ. And so on February 22nd, 2007, I bowed my heart and my head to the Lord of the universe and asked him forgiveness and salvation, and I received it, and I became new. And there are people out there that, that say that there aren't miracles anymore, right? That God, the time has ceased when God interacts powerfully and miraculously with his creation. I'm going to tell you what, I'm a miracle. There was no self-help manual that was going to fix me, right? No class or life coaching or plan or philosophy that was going to fix what was broken in me. I was as far from God as a heart could ever be. But God, in spite of all that, because of his great love and his great mercy to show the world how amazingly gracious he is, he drew me to him. He drew me out of the pit where I was living, gave me forgiveness and eternal life, washed my, washed my heart, took a heart of stone and turned it to a heart of flesh put this new song in my heart, this hymn of constant reverberating praise to our God that leaves me without voice after a worship set like we just had. 
And he left me with one mission, to live this life, to tell anyone and, and everyone that I can about this miraculous God and the salvation that he so freely offers. But my journey didn't stop in the Bahamas. In case you didn't know, all of our problems don't get fixed when we get saved. It's usually not until we get saved that we realize how jacked up we really are, right? And there was so much in me, right? There was so much that needed healing, right? There were so many wounds on my heart from all that stuff. There were so many chains around my life that I'd put there and the world had put there. And as I began to just spend time in this new beautiful thing, this family called the church, and spend time in his word and spend time in prayer and interactions with his spirit and ministry, these things began to change and I began to be transformed. And one by one, the Lord began to heal the wounds of my heart. And one by one, he began to set me free from the chains of this world. Through this intensive time in the spirit and the word and church with counselors, I began to be aware of all this stuff that I had in my life, right? All this stuff that we carry that the Lord's like, I want to set you free. And one by one, he began to do that for me. For instance, very quickly upon accepting Christ and walking in his, in his word and walking in his kingdom, I started to think about that girl. Remember? Seven years now had passed. And as I'm looking at the word and figuring out what it was like to be a husband and be a father, I realized that I had a child out there somewhere that I'd never met and totally abandoned. And my heart was just overcome with remorse. And so in the summer of 2007, I did a little internet search, found every address I could find that it seemed like that, that girl lived at and sent a little letter to each one. Said, hey, here's my number. I'm different now. And I'd like to talk to you if you'd like to talk to me. And on August 17th of 2007, the day before I got baptized, she called me. And she told me I had a little, almost six-year-old daughter named Sydney, Sydney, and she sent me this picture. What never ceases to amaze me in my life and others is what God can do when we surrender our lives to him. Miracles. Miracles. Just under a year after she sent me that picture, we were married. And every time you look at my family, you see a miracle of God. Right? The world says Sydney grows up without a dad. Period. Right? We know how this goes. We've seen it a million times. Right? The world says there's no way she ever has a biological sister. Harper though we count the cost on how happy we are about that one some days, <laughs> right? The world says she grows up with wounds on her heart that she's got to unpack, maybe gets, gets free from all that stuff when she's in her later years. That's what the world says. God says, I'm going to do a miracle. That's the business he's in, right? Miracles. He takes guys like me, furthest from Christ, yanks them out of the junk that they're in, puts a new heart inside them, and starts to create beauty from the ashes of these lives that we wreck chasing after our, our own sinful, selfish passions. And as God was healing me of all this stuff, and as God was setting me free from all these things, he was also equipping me for ministry so that I could take everything that he was giving me and go out into this dark world and give it to others. My equipment... This is a great, I love this story. My equipping actually began way back in the Bahamas before I even left. So 
I give my life to Christ and I start attending this, this little Bahamian church called Life Community Church. And I'm telling you, I'm standing here in front of you, but I can see the entranceway to this worship center right now as clear as day because I was absolutely terrified. Because I knew it wasn't cliche. I knew I was going to step across that and I was going to get struck by lightning for being the guy that I was. So I went with a plan. I'm a planner. Here was my plan. Three things. One, I was going to arrive super early when like only the groundskeeper was there, right? So I didn't have to talk to anybody, right? And then I was going to sit up in the almost front, the second row. And here's my logic for this. If we went anywhere when I was a kid, we went to Catholic mass. And in Catholic mass, if you've ever been there, the priest and all the other important people sit up on the stage or the altar, whatever you call it. So I'm thinking I'll sit in the second row. Someone will probably sit in front of me then I won't have to make direct eye contact with the priest or whatever they call him. And then everyone else will have to file in behind me and I won't have to look at or talk to any of those people. And then the third thing was I'm leaving early. Like as soon as it even seems like they're thinking about thinking about wrapping this service up, I'm gone. I'm out. Right. And that was my plan. As crazy it is. And here's the deal. That's what people are thinking. When God starts getting a hold of guys and gals like me that are super far from God, this is the kind of stuff that's going through their head. And as God starts to draw them through the doors of our church services and through the doors of our lives, we have to be ready for that. Amen? Well, there were some, in my story, there were a couple of unforeseen variables that undid the whole plan. First of all, this is a Protestant church, not a Catholic church. So generally, typically, where does the pastor and his entire family sit in a Protestant church, the front row, AKA right in front of me. And of course it was that church that did the meet and greet time. So literally the first person I shook hands with in the church was the last person ever wanted to meet. He was like, you know, and he's like, I'm pastor Beck. He's like, Oh, I know, you know, and then, and this is my wife and these are my kids. Right. Secondly, this is a Bahamian church in general. What is the skin color of the people that live in the Bahamas? And what's my skin color? And what are the statistical odds that I was going to go unnoticed in church service that day? They're like, oh, there's a white boy here. The only thing that held up for any length of time was the leaving early part. It held up to the third service. I would just get up and run out early. The third service, this guy gets up and chases me out in a suit. Hey, man, hey, man. And gets me in the courtyard and stops me. And his name was Harrison. And he did the craziest thing. He invited me out to a cup of coffee. And I did the craziest thing. I said, yes. And then I did a much crazier thing. I actually showed up because if any of you've been in that situation, (laughs) saying yes and showing up are two totally different things, right? But I did. I showed up to this, this little Burger King all the way back in, in, in this little island, the Bahamas. And I just sat and he brought another guy, this guy named Eddie. And as it turns out, they were deacons of the church. I didn't know what a deacon was, but they were deacons and they were over the men's ministry and they just sat there and they listened. And I was so jacked up and had so much to share. And I just talked and talked and talked. Some things don't change, right? <laughs> and what I didn't know then, but I know now, is that those two men and that little Burger King in the Bahamas, that's where my discipleship began. And the seeds that they planted in me would blossom later into vocational ministry. And they were the first men to pour into my life, but they weren't the last. Because over the succeeding years, I can't count how many men have taken time out of their busy lives because they've seen something in me to pour into me. 
pastors and leaders and friends, pouring wisdom into my heart so that I could be the man that God would have me to be and the husband that God would have me to be and the father that God would have and eventually the pastor and the leader that God would be proud of. And now I've seen over the years because of their impact in my life that my impact in the life of others has begun to increase. And to look back on these last nine plus years of ministry, it just, it's one of those things that seems like forever ago and seems like yesterday, right? I began as a volunteer at a church, in, a big church in San Diego uh, called The Rock and started serving there. And then uh, eventually some pastors saw something in me and they brought me into an internship and began to pour time and love and resources into me. And I'm telling you right now, the residency program is an example of that here. It was so amazing to worship under the worship resident here. Is it Briley? Brielle, Brielle right? And so, because there, there's nothing better that you can do to a young leader, right? Is bring them in. And give them time and love and encouragement and then give them responsibility and they're going to screw it all up. But that's how leaders learn, right? They fall down, they get back up and that's the moment they're actually teachable. Because it's like, you just cost us $30,000. Like, yeah, I need some wisdom. It's like, yeah, you do. Finally, I can speak to you. And people did that to me. And eventually that, that work that I did uh, led to a staff position. And it's still amazing to me that less than a year as a Christian, I was on staff in one of the biggest churches in the country. I have no idea what they were thinking, right? But they, they saw something in me, and they took the time to patiently groom that and stoke that, that passion for Christ and his kingdom that I had. And it was while I was on staff at this church in San Diego that this crazy church called Harvest from Billings, Montana, of all places, calls me and says, hey, we want to recruit you to move up, to bring your family from San Diego to go to this place called Cody, Wyoming, and start a multi-site campus of our church there. I didn't know where Wyoming was. I didn't know what multi-site was. I didn't know what a campus pastor was. But in spite of all that, as soon as I read that email, my heart said, yes, go. This is where you're supposed to go. And after vetting all of that and after making sure that that was what the Lord wanted, we went. And we moved up first to Billings, Montana in August of 2009, and then uh, nine months later down to Cody, Wyoming in June of 2010. And we spent four amazing years. If I had any free time after chasing elk and fly fishing, we started a church. And it was just, it was amazing. And it was wonderful. And that church is still there, and it's prevailing. And it's just, it's amazing to see what God did. And about a year after we launched, this burden began to grow in my heart. Because see, what drew us out of San Diego to the Northwest, this beautiful place where we all live, was the fact that there's so many towns and cities that need more healthy, life-giving, multiplying, prevailing churches. They just need them. And there's one more now in Cody, right? Working in partnership with all the other great churches there to bring about great ministry. But there's so many others. And this burden began to grow in my heart. But the Northwest is a big place. I didn't know where. I didn't know when, but this burden, it started in the fall of 2011. I didn't talk to anybody about it. I tried to push it away. 2012, it's not gone. It's not not only not gone, it's stronger. But my uh, responsibilities had also grown at Harvest as well to where now I'm overseeing all five of our campuses. I'm just trying to push this down, but it it just wouldn't go away. And so eventually we began looking at all these Northwest cities to see which one would be our home. And there was an extended season where we didn't know where our home was going to be. We just knew where we were living now wasn't our home anymore. And that all changed about two years ago. 
like Jeff mentioned, we're part of a denomination and we're part of the Western Conference. And I was in the office of the conference superintendent, Steve Strutz in Billings. And I was having a meeting with him and I was having a meet, and on the phone was the Pacific Conference superintendent who oversees all of our Oregon and Washington churches. So the whole Northwest of our denominations represented. And we're talking about where should we plant? Where's the greatest need within our region to, to plant a church? And it was actually Chris, the former superintendent of Pacific Conference, through the speakerphone, incensed that said that he had just gotten back from Denver, where his kids live, to Portland, where he lives. And as he was traveling, he'd driven through Idaho and through Boise. And apparently not for the first time, his heart was just wrecked. Because as it turns out, back then, a couple years ago, the Western Conference stopped at Montana and Wyoming. And the Pacific Conference started at Washington and Oregon. And in the middle was this whole state. And in the middle of the state was this whole metro area with like 700,000 people. And we didn't have one church in the entire state or the entire city. Well, guess what we do now? Because in that moment, I just felt the Lord say, this is your city. Go. And we did. In July of last year, we left Billings and rolled out a U-Haul, a Subaru, one husband, father, pastor, one wife, mother, two daughters, a pug, a fish, and regrettably, a cat. <laughs> Anyone want a cat? I'm giving them away. And we moved, we moved our family across the Rocky Mountains to follow the call of the Lord to come follow him. And as soon as the wheels of that U-Haul crossed the Montana-Idaho state line, the, the ministry of this denomination expanded by an entire state. And the name of our church is Passion. Passion Church, which exists to reach for the furthest hearts with the love and grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And then to revive those hearts into passionate, useful followers of Christ to impact the world. And I hope you enjoyed my story today. Because it's a God one, right? But I didn't tell you a story just to tell you a story. I told you a story to tell you why we went to Boise. Because a long time ago now, it seems, I was as far from God as a heart could get. But he loved me anyway. And he drew me out of this wreckage that I was in. And he put a new heart inside of me. And he forgave me and, and gave me eternal life and restored our family. And then all through these years, these people have poured their life into me to equip me and to, to maximize my impact for the kingdom of God. And there are guys like me in Boise right now. And they might not be as far from God as I was. Sorry, I stepped out of the screen. But they're pretty far. Right? And they need a church that's going to go pray for them, is going to witness to them, is going to love them, is going to serve to them. And when Christ saves them, they need a church that's going to say, now let me help you follow. Let me help you figure this out. So we're going to reach into the Treasure Valley with the love and grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And as he saves these men and women, we're going to be a church that helps equip them to be passionate followers of Christ and play their unique role in the interdependent body of Christ. And that's my passion. And that's the heart of passion. And if you want to know what we're about, that's what we're about. And we're seeing amazing things happen already. Well, our, our, our launch services, September 25th is our official launch. But we've had uh, services happening. This is our seventh week. Our executive pastors there preaching now. We, we, have this, we came up with this great name through the Holy Spirit and no one else. We called it Passion Unplugged. If any, who was here pre-launch for Element? We stole your name. 
totally stole your name, right? Element did an unplugged services. I'm like, wow, that's a great name. So we just named it. And we've been doing, and we've seen over 50 people come in months pre-launch. And we're seeing people get to play their roles and we're seeing people get drawn into the kingdom. And it's amazing. And we're praying that God would use us as a unique vessel into this region at this time. And it's such an exciting time. And I'm so blessed to be here with you guys. And uh, because I'll be honest with you, we're a long way from home. The closest denominational church we have is Bend, Oregon. It's over six hours away. And we've got an amazing group of people that are part of our church now, but it's such a blessing to come and spend time like this with family because that's who you guys are. So thank you so much for letting me come here. There's a few ways that you can, if if you want to help us, if you want to be a part of what we're doing, there's a few ways. All of them are accessible through our website. You can connect to any of these through our website. And we have information at the table out there at any level. First of all, prayer. We have a prayer team of hundreds of people all around the world. Jeff's been on it since like the beginning. That just pray for us. We send out regular prayer updates for three or four strategic prayer requests. And we're seeing God answer those prayers in sovereign, providential ways. And it's obvious that not only is he for us, but he went before us. And it's because of our prayer team. And you can join our prayer team through the website. You can help connect us. Do you know anyone in Boise? Anyone moving to Boise? There's a church there that wants to love on them. I don't care if they're following Christ yet or not. We'll be there for them, whatever they need. We'll help them unpack. We'll feed them. Whatever you just tell us what they need. Tell us how we can pray. And we'll do it. You can give. You can, we, you startups need money, just like Element did, right? You can join that effort if you'd like to. You can do that through the website. Take one of our fundraising prospectuses. Or you can come with us. There's great ministry. Boys is a great city. Elk hunting, fly fishing, great church, you know? Boise State Broncos. I, grab, I did my undergrad at, San, undergrad at San Diego State, so go Aztecs. Um, but... Those are four ways that you can engage. You can pray, you can help connect this, you can give, or you can go. And we would love for you to at least pray with us and for us. We would cover your prayers because there's a lot of exciting things happening. We love you guys so much. We're so thankful that you invited us here, invited me here to come talk to you and uh, look forward to the future. Can I pray for us? Yep. Okay, God, so um, there, are people, there might be some guys or gals here just like me that they had their own list of strategy for coming here. If that's you and you, you're just, you're like I was, that, that you're just scared right now because you're not even sure why you're sitting in this place. There's a reason. And God loves you so much. And he died for you so that you can be saved from your sins and receive eternal life. And if you put your faith in Christ, you'll become part of this family. So I just want to give you an opportunity to do that. Just put your trust in Christ. you never regret it. Lord, thank you for all these other people here. Thank you for all of us who have just the blood-washed children of your family called the church. Lord, I pray that you would inspire us through the testimonies of others to desire to follow you, to surrender to you all the days of our life. Lord, would you watch over us? Would you guide us? Would you teach us? Would you, would you instruct us? Would you encourage us as we needed to follow you, God? We love you so much. Thank you for loving us even more. Lord, thank you for our denominational family. Lord, may we be about the work of your kingdom. And may you be proud of us. May we stand before you one day and hear, well done, good and faithful servants. You were faithful shepherds of this flock that I put you over. Thank you for this time, Lord. Thank you for being with us. In Jesus' name, amen.